Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Not many players can claim to be a member of their team's worst all-time season, as well as its best, and have a great time doing both. Tackle Chet Bolger of the Chicago Cardinals enjoyed an intriguing nine-year career in the NFL, being with the Cardinals from 1942 through 1949, and then finishing his lengthy tenure in the league with the Detroit Lions in 1950. Along the way, he was mentioned on three different All-Pro teams, helped coach a youth team with the legendary Hall of Famer Duke Slater, and earned the respectable friends and foes alike. Born in Rumford, Maine in 1917, Bulger received a track scholarship to Auburn University and then quietly walked onto the football team. Although hampered by illness and injuries, Chet was an outstanding tackle and helped Auburn achieve a 6-4-1 record during the senior season in 1940. After a stint in the service, Bulger joined the Chicago Cardinals in 1942 and quickly made the starting lineup a tackle for coach Jimmy Councilman. Following the season opening 7-0 win over the Cleveland Rams, Councilman praised the play of his rookie lineman. He said, when the Rams got close, we really smacked them. Bulger did a great job at tackle. A couple of weeks later, the Chicago Tribune described Bulger as a scintillating freshman lineman. But then disaster struck as Bulger was seriously injured with a fractured vertebrae against the Detroit Lions on October 18, 1942. The season, and perhaps his career, were over after just five games. Yet Bulger bounced back stronger than ever to start all 10 games for the Cardinals in 1943, and even found time to help Duke Slater coach a youth team at 56th and South Park in Chicago. His efforts in 1943 earned Bulger All-Pro honors from the UPI, before a strange situation occurred in 1944 that forced the Cardinals and the Steelers to merge together because of player shortages during World War II. The card pits lost all 10 of their games, but Bulger's efforts prompted Bears running back Jake Sweeney to term Bulger as the toughest opponent he's tangled with this season. He's a fast charger, but a clean player, said Sweeney in praise of Bulger. Then early in 1945, Chet Bulger enjoyed one of his best days in the NFL. Perhaps we could call the lineman's dream. When the Cardinals opened up the 1945 schedule against the Lions on September 23rd with a home game in West Dallas, Wisconsin, the score reflected a tough 10-0 loss. But an observant scout told the Chicago Daily News that if they scored this game on Bulger's offense, in quotes, the Cards would be leading the league. Reporter Harry Shearer of the Daily News described Chet's impressive activity for the afternoon, which, as we mentioned, came just three years after Bulger broke his back and was advised to give up football. Said Shearer, Usually the morning after story is about some guy who passed for five touchdowns, ran for three more, 
and tackled a rival halfback inches short of a fourth down touchdown. Imagine a cardinal tackle getting all this notoriety, because that's what Chet Bulger is, a tackle. And yesterday he was the best man on the gridiron. Bulger saved the day. He played 60 minutes. He was in and out of the Detroit backfield all afternoon. With the steady rain streaking the mud all over him in the final period, he must have seemed like some prehistoric monster to the desperate Lions. Five times yesterday, he shook off would-be blockers off his massive shoulders. And in those five smashes, he smacked down would-be Lion runners or passers for a total of 42 lost yards. Outside of just magnificent line play, the Cardinals at least showed some promise, something which couldn't be said of them the last two seasons. That 1944 version of the Cardinals was clearly the worst team in franchise history and helped to contribute to an exceptional losing streak. But once again, Bulger was in the forefront of ending that string of losses. On October 15, 1945, Bulger and the Cardinals defeated the Bears 16-7 to snap a 29-game winless streak. Of course, just two years later, the Cardinals grabbed the 1947 NFL title with Bulger leading the way. The 1947 edition of the Cardinals was the last Cards team to claim an NFL title and is considered the best team in the history of the franchise. As such, it is ironic that Butler went from worst to first with this club in a span of just three seasons. So while Bulger clearly demonstrated that he was a dominant two-way tackle on the field in the NFL, there is a reason that we are calling this episode the wit and wisdom of Chet Bulger. Long before guys like Art Donovan enthralled us with their humorous tales of life in the NFL on TV shows with Johnny Carson or David Letterman, Chet Bulger could easily entertain any audience with his wry sense of humor and his shrewd observations of the world at large. When I first began interviewing Mr. Bulger over 20 years ago, he quickly became a favorite go-to guy for the real inside stuff regarding the 1947 championship team and its bevy of talented players. Chet could turn any interview into a performance. He could make you laugh, make you cry, but most of all, make you smile. So here are a few of my favorite Chet Bolger stories regarding NFL life in the 1940s. Just close your eyes and imagine yourself sitting next to this wonderful former tackle with a zest for football and for life. So here we go. Cardinals owner Charles Bidwell in the 40s was widely known for his unique style of dress in the 1940s, including the color of shirt he preferred. As such, the nickname Blue Shirt Charlie speaks for itself. Of course, Chet remembered the time that he and several of his Cardinals teammates were inspired to imitate their leader. Chet said, Charlie Bidwell always wore dark blue shirts with orange or yellow ties. One time we thought we'd all dress up like him on a road trip. We were pleased with ourselves. We thought he'd be so happy. So we all put on blue shirts and yellow ties. But when he came on the train and saw us, Charlie raised hell with us. He was yelling, what are you doing? You guys look like a bunch of gangsters. Get that stuff off. So, Chet said, we never made the mistake of wearing those blue shirts and yellow ties again. Speaking of a dress code, the NFL and the Cardinals were quite strict about the appearance of the players back then. As Chet complained, on one road trip, I forgot my razor and needed a shave. There was a small gift shop in the lobby of the hotel, but I remembered that the team had this rule that you needed to wear a coat and tie in public, no matter what, when you're on the road. 
But I figured, what the heck, who's going to be up at 6 a.m. to see me in the lobby buying razor blades? So I went down there in my sweats and bought the razor blades. Of course, someone saw me without a tie and I was fined. It was silly, but I broke the rules and I paid my fine. I'm probably the only guy in the history of the NFL who was fined for wanting to get a shave. Chet recalled that the Cardinals' training camps under coach Jimmy Councilman were very, very tough. In 1942, the team trained at Carroll College in Waukesha, Wisconsin. We'll let Chet tell the story from here, as he says. I remember the field at Carroll College because it was so hot because of the sun's reflection of the limestone around the field. They fed us so well at lunch and you could eat all you wanted. But then they started to run us and run us and run us and run us. You learn not to eat too much at lunch. There was one lone tree I remember besides the practice field. And everyone used to support, uh, put their support on it and throw up on it during practice. I checked on the tree the next year and it grew about 20 feet. So much for the lunches and the practices at Carroll College. As for himself, Chet recalled that Councilman wanted him to gain weight prior to the start of one of the seasons, that he needed to increase his weight from 225 to 240 pounds. So, Chet said, I asked Coach. I said, Coach, how do you want me to do that? And Jimmy just told me, drink lots of beer and eat plenty of steak. Of course, Chet said, I followed the coach's orders and gained the weight. It was the best summer of training I ever had. When you think of today's rather high-priced players, one would be stunned to discover what the lack of pay prompted some of the players to do in 1943. Here's what Chet mentioned when discussing his respected coach councilman. Chet said, Jimmy was a game psychologist. He could get you so motivated and he was such a character with his mane of white hair, covered with dust from the chalkboard and his habit of continually smoking a cigarette. He wore those baggy pants and he kept the cigarettes deep down in the pockets. He'd search through his pockets, look for his cigarettes, light one while continuing to talk, and then forget and put the pack down. That's when the leeches would take over. We didn't get paid in training camp and we received just $2 per day in meal money. So that's why they were stealing councilman's cigarettes. They couldn't afford to buy their own. Later, Bolger remembered another trait of councilman saying, he would inhale a cigarette with smoke coming out of his nose and mouth at the same time. We don't know if it ever came out of his ears. Vowing to be in better shape for future training camps, Bolger revealed his routine for getting in shape prior to the 1946 campaign, Chet said. In the afternoon, I'd go over to Jackson Park in Chicago. I'd tee up a football, kick it off, and run after it, and then walk back. Conditioning back then was for breathing in your lungs. When you got to training camp, it was like you never ran before. It was brutal. So, so much for year-round training for the Cardinals back in the 1940s. During one preseason camp at Carroll College, veteran running back Marshall Goldberg parked his new car close to the player's dormitory, as close as possible in order to afford the vehicle some slight protection from the elements during training camp. Yet, he later scratched his head and pondered how this nifty new auto could have absorbed some small, irregular dents on the hood. It clearly remained a mystery, but only to Goldberg. Bolger later explained, Marshall would park his car real close to the building by the fire escape, and some of us would sneak into town to get some beers at night by jumping off the fire escape and onto Marshall's car. No one ever told him. 
Back in the 1940s, teams traveled by train and could spend three or four days en route to Los Angeles to play the Rams. Chet revealed how the team management attempted to keep the players in shape on the lengthy trip. He said one year they tried to put big blocking dummies in the baggage car. We were supposed to go down there and hit the dummies. That didn't go over too well because there were no showers on the train. We did that once or twice and smelled like a bunch of goats. The other passengers weren't too happy with us either. Chet left the NFL following his lone season with Detroit in 1950. He served a couple of years as the head coach of St. Mary's College in Minnesota, where he never lost his optimism or his faith in his team. After a tough 28 to nothing loss to Concordia in 1954 with his very inexperienced team, Bolger was both elated and proud when talking about his players. I'm mighty proud of these kids, he said. It was just a couple of fundamental mistakes that boosted the score. Now we have a really good football team. Bolger eventually returned to Chicago and joined the staff at De La Salle High School on the near south side of Chicago. He was a teacher, coach, and the athletic director at the school until 1982, but continued to work in development and fundraising until the 90s. In, 19, in 2007, De La Salle honored Bolger's longtime contributions by naming the football field after him. Unfortunately, we lost Chet on February 18, 2009 at the age of 91, right after the Cardinals made their first and only appearance in the Super Bowl. Shortly before the Super Bowl, the Associated Press interviewed Chet, and he proudly proclaimed that, I'm still a Cardinal and always will be a Cardinal. I can't see too well anymore, but I'm going to get up real close to the TV and watch that game. Maybe we'll win that Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be something? Although the Cardinals lost that Super Bowl game, Bulger could perhaps smile when remembering his key role in the team's last NFL title in 1947. And maybe he had time for one more story, one more recollection from the glory years of old. We'll leave you with our favorite Chet Bulger story. Back in 1942, the Cards traveled to Washington by train for a game with the Redskins. And Chet said, At that time, we received $2 a day for meal money. So my roommate Bob Morrow and I went to a local place and bought a dozen sliders and a bottle of buttermilk for dinner. I'm not sure what sliders meant back in the 40s, but if it means the same as today, they were not the most nutritious of pregame meals. Chet continued, we brought the stuff back to our room, put our feet up on a windowsill, looked out at the sights and ate our burgers. Then Bob looked over me, smiled and said, it don't get any better than this. And that was life in the pregame meal for the Cardinals back in 1942. Please join us next time as we travel back to a time when football was football, as we take an inside look at the Cardinals' win in the 1948 College All-Star Game, which is the biggest crowd ever to see the Cardinals play in the United States. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup. Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast is a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on the Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.